everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I am sure is just as happy, if not happier than I am, that the NBA season is back in full effect. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good, and I am extremely happy with the NBA season underway. I uh, went to the home opener against the Cavs, and it was another amazing show. Yeah, because, I mean, job balled out. I mean, it was a great team win. I want to catch a, a Cavs game, even though I know it's not going to be as fun as Grizzlies games, but I'm going to try to make it happen. Speaking of making things happen, we got a cool show for you guys today. We are going to talk the DK Metcalf versus Shannon Sharp drama. Whose side are we on? We're also going to talk if the Colts realistically will win a Super Bowl before the end of the decade. And, of course, with regards to the NBA, we're going to make our nightly NBA predictions. And then we're going to talk about the NBA 75 teams, which players were the biggest snubs from the list. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out TheXReport.net. I repeat, TheXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of my lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this kicked off with our college football player spotlight. And this week, we're going on the defensive side of the ball. And we're going to talk about Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who has been a stellar uh, player this season and considered to be one of the top defensive backs of this draft class. So far this season, he has 32 tackles, four pass deflections, and three picks. Really is great around the ball. And let's be honest, what team couldn't use somebody to help out on the back end? So, Ethan, what team is what team should be looking out for this young safety? Um, I think I would go with the Atlanta Falcons. We know that they have they have just recently lost Keanu Neal. Yes, he was more of a hybrid safety. He played a little bit of linebacker and safety. And I think if you throw him into the Atlanta backfield, and um, just give him an opportunity to make some plays because on the offensive side of the ball, they're pretty decent. But in my opinion, outside of Grady Jerry, who's making plays on their defense? Not many people. Not many people. And Deion Jones. I'll throw Deion Jones in there as well. But after that, it gets rough. I'm actually going to say your Tennessee Titans. While Kevin Bayard has, as we know, been holding down the fort for the last few years, you guys as secondary can use a lot of help, particularly with your cornerbacks kind of being inexperienced or even with Janoris Jenkins having his struggles. The more help on the back end you can get, the better. And I think that if you can get two safeties back there who are good tacklers as well as good when the ball is in the air, I don't think you really can go wrong with that. The more help you can get, the better. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to week six. Here's what happened. Thursday night football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Philadelphia Eagles 28-22. to um, Bengals beat Lions 34-11. to Colts destroy the Texans 31-3. to Ravens up, I guess I'll call it an upset, um, upset the Chargers 34-6. Um, Seattle Seahawks lose Sunday night football to the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-20. Jags get their first win of the season in London 23-20 over the Dolphins. Chiefs bounce back against the uh, Washington football team 31-13. Vikings win in overtime against the Panthers 34-28. Rams beat Giants 38-11. Packers still own the Bears, or at least Aaron Rodgers does, 24-14. Cardinals beat Browns, 37-14. Raiders beat Broncos, 34-24. Um, Cowboys win a good game against the Patriots, 35-29. And then the Tennessee Titans win Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills, 34-31. After last week, I went 12-2. and And Ethan, you went 11-3. and so, before we talk about injuries, what would you say are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Um, top three takeaways are uh, it's good to see some semblance of some defense, and I think that a lot of people have um, looked at the offense and seen how great the they potentially be, but I think that, yes, they give up a lot of points, but one thing I have noticed they are a team that when a play needs to be made, I'm not going to say more times than not, but they are pretty decent in making the needed plays. And Jeffrey Simmons made the biggest play of the game. Um, number two, and like you say, Aaron Rodgers does all the best. 
should be the MVP. But I think Lamar Jackson should be the MVP this year more than he did his actual MVP year. I 150% agree with you. I think that this year is head and shoulders better than his MVP year. Um, I think that he's has a much more well-rounded and balanced game. So, yeah, I do agree with you on that. And then with Aaron Rodgers, yeah, like, don't give this man any more ammunition to destroy you because he does it anyway. All right, so here are some of the biggest injuries coming out of the week. Uh, Chris Carson, ahead of uh, the Seahawks game, was put on IR with a neck injury. At best, he'll be able to come back week 10. Um, Browns lose running back Kareem Hunt to a calf injury. Um, as well as Jeremiah Owuso-Karamoa, their rookie linebacker who's been making a big impact with an ankle injury. Patrick Peterson is going on IR with a hamstring injury. Colts lose safety Justin Blackman with the torn ACL. Your Titans lose cornerback Kayla Farley for the rest of the year for its, with the torn ACL. Ravens offensive tackle Ronnie Stanley is out for the year following um, year-ending ankle surgery. And Bills lose tight end Dawson Knox for the next several weeks with the broken bone in his hand. So kind of talking about the Browns we know that the coming into this past Thursday night game that they won even though they were hampered you could tell it was a bit of a difference how big of a blow do you think it's going to be not having Kareem Hunt in tow They've been struggling with injuries in their own, especially along that linebacker court. So it's not that big of a surprise to see they allowed a big rushing game. But I think that you hit it on the head that Kareem Hunt, what makes him different from the rest of those backs in that backfield, with maybe the exception of Demetrius Felton, is he's such a good receiver out of the backfield. And that is something that really helps out the offense. You saw him use a lot on screen plays, a lot of play actions. That's something that really makes him such a versatile back, not just in his time with the Browns, but just throughout his NFL career. So, yeah, I think it is going to be a big blow. I think that as their schedule gets tougher, um, I think that they're going to see more and more just how big of an impact he has on the team. And while it would be great having Nick Chubb coming back whenever he comes back, it will be a bit different not having Kareem Hunt there. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk the players that we were impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Starting off with who I was impressed by, I'm going with Cowboys wide receiver CeeDee Lamb. Had a tremendous game against the Patriots, 149 receiving yards, two touchdowns, absolutely destroyed the Patriots secondary, and to me really showed why he is the Cowboys' number one wide receiver. Speaking of quarterbacks, I was most disappointed in Justin Herbert. While, don't get me wrong, I will take a strong Ravens defensive performance any day of the week, but it looked like Justin Herbert really could not get anything going. The only touchdown that the Chargers scored was because of a bad throw by Lamar that set them up in really nice field goal position. Other than that, it was a non-starter game for Justin Herbert. And I think that because he's been someone who's played so well and has so many expectations, I think that might be why everybody is a bit harder than them, harder on him because of this game. But it did not look good at all. Established the play action and just 
Traded in right behind those linebackers and in between those safeties. But he didn't play well. He played good enough to get the W, but he did have a good game. I, I definitely feel you on that. All right, rookie of the week. The last few weeks I've tried to go against the obvious answer, but I can't this week. It's Jamar Chase. Four catches for 97 yards. Pretty much ended the debate of the Bengals should have taken Panay Sewell with the fifth overall pick. Looking back, that was a genius move because compared to what Jamar has been doing as opposed to Baker, it's been a big difference. All right, let's go ahead and talk some of the latest league moves, starting with veteran tight end Zach Ertz being traded from the Eagles um, to the Cardinals for cornerback Tay Gowan and a 2022 uh, fifth-round pick. In addition to that, Whitney Merciless, veteran outside linebacker for the Texans, was released um, and quickly signed with the Green Bay Packers. Cornerback Desmond Trufant signed a deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. And a couple of running backs could find themselves on the market. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was announced that the uh, Indianapolis Colts and Marlon Mack were working together to try to piece together a trade. But he's not the only running back getting some attention, as is running back Ronald Jones for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. With uh, Leonard Fournette taking back the bulk of the carries, it's kind of left Rojo with a bit of a standstill. So, Ethan, let's say you're a team that needs a running back. I know you don't need one, but just for the sake of conversation, which running back would you be more enticed by, uh, Rojo or Marlon Mack? Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor got there. He actually had a really productive season. Like, I remember him being a thousand yard rusher, maybe two seasons. And who knows what happened, but I guess just the presence of Jonathan Taylor, he might have heard footsteps behind him. And he got nervous and he lost his sense of comfortability. But I think he's a productive back. And I would say if I were the Ravens, I would look into it because y'all backfield is um, depleted right now. Very. And oddly enough, that that's the weird thing about running backs. Like, when you have a star running back, you have a star. But the position overall feels so replaceable because we lost J.K., we lost uh, Gus Edwards, but we're still having a really nice rushing season. I mean, uh, Devontae Freeman went off this past week, which nobody really expected. Latavius Murray was good, too, when he got hurt. But, yeah, don't get me wrong. If we can get better at the position, I'm all for it. Uh, but yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to say Marlon Mack. I think what hurt him was tearing his ACL last year um, and then just trying to bounce back. And then you look at how many other running backs in Indianapolis really got themselves going while he was out. And so because of that, I do think that Marlon Mack has a bit more of a chip on his shoulder. Rojo is a good player, but turnovers have been a bit of an issue. They were his problem as well when he was at USC, whereas Marlon Mack really doesn't make those big mistakes. While he may not have, I guess, the explosiveness of a Rojo, he's a bit more versatile, so I would like him more as an option. And in terms of a team that probably should be looking for him, I think the 49ers could make a move for a running back. I think that Elijah Mitchell had that great first game against the Lions and then kind of been a non-starter. Trey Sermon hasn't done much. And, of course, Raheem Mustard has been non-existent the all season. And with that being said, I think that no matter who your quarterback is, whether it be Jimmy G or Trey Lance, you got to get as much help in that backfield as you possibly can. All right, let's talk – speaking of help, DK Metcalf, he tried to help his team Sunday night. I'm not sure if you saw the play, but before – You did? Okay, so quick rundown. So um, they, the Seahawks need to drive downfield to kick a field goal to be able to tie the game and send it into overtime. And so DK caught a pass from Geno Smith, and rather than go out of bounds with 11 seconds left, he tried to stay inbound and get extra yards. And Seattle didn't have any timeouts, so it could have lost in the game, but they got to the line of scrimmage early enough. 
So, uh, Shannon Sharp, who was never known to hold back his opinion, said this about DK's hero ball. He said, what was DK thinking? Why try and play hero ball in that situation? DK responded, stop questioning me, little boy, with the laughing emoji. Shannon replied, nothing to question. That was a dumbass play, and your pride won't let you admit it. You can't question anything I've done. Pray your resume will be as complete as mine. Pray. DK responded, from the looks of it, I can wipe my... He sent the poop emoji with yours. Continue to gossip, you washed up has been. Then after a while, it seems that DK came to his senses and replied, you know what, you right with two laughing emojis. At Shannon Sharp, I do pray my resume can match up with yours. So let's just talk about the argument at hand. I know that we kind of get on analysts a lot for their criticisms about younger players and how they choose to do things. But in this situation, do you think Shannon Sharp was right? Because I do. Because it was a terrible play by DK that could have cost him the game. Yeah, just, just hearing the way you described it, if it's a situation where you need to get out, out of bounds and save clock, why are you trying to get extra yards? Especially given the fact that you're playing in a situation where Russell isn't your quarterback. You have to do everything that you can to help Geno Smith win the game. Like he's not he's not the type of guy that's gonna go out and get you a W. He's the type of guy that needs everything needs he needs all phases of the ball to help him win. And if you're going to, you know, play hero ball like that, obviously you saw it lost. So it was not a bad look. It was not a good look. I agree with you on that. I think that especially watching the play, it was such a I understand what he was trying to do, but you just – it could have gone so wrong in so many ways. Like, if they didn't get to the line as soon as they did, they would have lost that game. So, yeah, no, I think it was a bad decision by DK. All right, let's play believable or buffoonery, starting off with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, there are few owners in the league who are as boisterous as Jim Ursay, the Colts owner. But he made a bold claim um, just a few days ago on Twitter saying, Colts Nation, don't you worry. We're going to get the horseshoe at least two Lombardis this decade. As sure as the sun rises and the seasons change, it's coming. Don't you ever doubt that, ever. You will see greatness, believe, and you will see. I'm not even going to say two. Believable or buffoonery, the Colts will win a Super Bowl by the end of this decade. I think it's buffoonery just simply because of the fact that you're, you're promising something that is so difficult to promise. Because a lot of things go into winning that Super Bowl. Like, you can have the best team, you can have the most talented team, but who's to say you don't get injured? Case in point. They have a good team right now on paper. Yes, Carson Wentz is a questionable quarterback, but every like I like that team as a whole. They have their defense hasn't been to the standard that they were last year, and I think some of that has to do with the fact that they lost some key players like Danico Audrey and a couple other guys. But it's like you know they're talented, but who's to say Quentin Nelson doesn't get hurt? And we we've seen how big of an impact he has on their team. So it's hard to promise a Super Bowl in a decade when so many things are tied to winning a Super Bowl. So I got to say it's buffoonery. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well, especially because it's not like the Colts have really done much in recent history to inspire that inspiration. Like, if in the last couple of years they've been to, like, an AFC championship or this was a team that had been that much of a contender, then, yeah, maybe. But right now we're looking at a team that has been struggling, um, it has yet to really come into their own. And why you mentioned why they have some solid pieces, but a decade is a long time. And who's to say that the people on your roster now are still going to be there? Who's to say that you're going to still have the coaching staff? Who's to say you're not going to go into a complete rebuild if things don't go right this season. So I think that it's a lot to ask. If it was a different team, like, for example, the Chiefs, if they were to say something like that, I'm like, okay, because they've done it before. The proof is in the pudding. But you can't really say the same thing about the Colts. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. All right, speaking of the Chiefs, though, um, after the Washington game where turnovers continue to plague the team, uh, Patrick Mahomes' mother had a very interesting take. After Tyreek Hill dropped the pass that led to a Mahomes interception, this is what his mother had to say on Twitter. Okay, people, that should not be an interception on the quarterback. That should be a fumble or anything else. Just putting it out there, go Chiefs. So, believable or buffoonery, if a drop pass by a receiver ends up being intercepted, it should fall on the quarterback. 
I say buffoonery. I don't think it should be considered an interception. Yeah, me neither. And I think this has been something that's been argued for quite some time. And I I definitely think that it should be. If it's not a, I don't think it should be a fumble, but I think they should create a, it should be a new stat that they track that tracks this. Like maybe, you know, um, um, a PLI, which is a pass that led, a, no, a DLI drop that led to interception. Something that, like that. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense, especially because we've seen so many great passes that are just dropped. And it's frustrating for quarterbacks, especially because it's not necessarily their fault. And even though I'm not trying to be like a quarterback apologist, I do think that you shouldn't be blamed for something that you didn't do. So, yeah, I agree. I think that that would be a great idea. And if in the meantime, if they don't want to create that new stat or whatever, they can at least list it as a fumble. But, yeah, I do think that – I think they should do away with that. All right, moving on to the Detroit Lions who know all about fumbling. They are currently 0-6. However, Dan Campbell is still keeping Jared Goff as their starter but challenged him to step up. He said, I'll tell you this, I feel like he needs to step up more than he has. He's going to need to put a little bit of weight on his shoulders here. It's time to step up, make some throws, and do some things. But he needs help. He needs help. So, believable or buffoonery, Jared Goff is to blame for the Lions' woes. No, I think that their woes are a complete team effort. Case in point, I'm going to go back to the game against Baltimore. Why are you running a cover zero when you know that they have to get an X amount of yards to pick up enough for a first down to kick a field goal? Why are you not playing prevent defense and covering the um and covering the first down marker? Like I can't just solely put that on Jared Goff because it's been a total team snafu on several instances throughout the season. I would say, yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm going to go on the offensive side of the ball. Let's be honest. Their receiving core does not leave much to be desired. I mean, right now, their receivers are Khalif Raymond, who was just in Tennessee, um, Quintez Cephas, but he, I think he's out for the year. Uh, what's his name? Oh, my gosh. Amon Ross St. Brown, who I do like a lot. Like, their receiving core leaves much to be desired. And so everybody knows that the ball is going to TJ Hawkinson. And while it's always next man up, if you don't necessarily have the talent for the next man to really step up, how far do you really think that you're going to be able to go? And so with that being said, I don't think it's all on Jared Goff. He's not really in charge of the personnel that is there. He can just try to do his best with what's there. And truthfully, it's not much. So, no, I'm not blaming Jared Goff for this. But keeping on the quarterback discussion, let's talk Patrick Mahomes, where Kay Adams of Good Morning Football had a very interesting take about – I'm not Patrick Mahomes, sorry, Kyler Murray, who um, Kay Adams of Good Morning Football on NFL Network had interesting comments about. She said – I think he could be better than Lamar and Mahomes. I think he's the best of bu- the both of them both put of them. together. Believable or buffoonery, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in the league right now. Um, it's hard to argue, but I think for this particular season and this given time, I will actually say yes. And the reason I say this is because, actually, no, 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 no. no. I say Tom Brady. I mean, Kyler is having a hell of a season, especially considering all the, you know, criticisms about him coming in. But he's really kind of silenced the doubters, and he's had a tremendous year. I think that the gap between he and Tom Brady is not that big, but I still wouldn't say he's the best quarterback this year. All right, last question before we make our game picks. Starting off with the Cleveland Browns, where Dan Orlovsky on Get Up, which appears on ESPN, said, the Cleveland Browns are the most disappointing team in football. I'll tell you straight up. I'm calling buffoonery. I'm saying it's the Chiefs. Yeah, for this season, it has to be the Chiefs because, in my opinion, the Chiefs should be, what, 4-0? Something like that because it's, what, six games in now. At the very least, like 4-2 and at worst. And I think they're 3-3 and now. Yeah. I think they should have an undefeated season or at least one to two losses on their record. 
Yeah, and the thing about the Browns is kind of like the same problem they had a couple years ago when they got Odell. Everybody puts these unrealistic expectations on them. Like, this is a team that's, like, coming off a Super Bowl. or just this superstar team, and it's not that. They are a good team. They have the ability to be a playoff team. But I think that the fact that they're 3-3 three and three right now, or at least 4-3, and three, should not be the biggest shock on the planet. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. But, all right, let's make game picks for Week 7, starting off with the Carolina Panthers versus the New York Giants. I know that the Carolinas have been slipping right now, but I just can't, in good faith, pick the Giants to do anything. I got Panthers. Okay. Yeah, I'm picking Panthers, too. All right, battle of two struggling teams, the Atlanta Falcons versus the Miami Dolphins. This is tough, but I think I'm going to go Falcons. All right, Green Bay Packers versus the Washington football team. I got Packers. Yeah, Packers. Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Y'all know I love me some Joe Burrow. However, I don't think he's going to keep the streak alive. I got Baltimore. Yeah, I got Baltimore. New, New England Patriots versus the New York Jets. The Patriots may lose to other teams, but they're not losing to the Jets. I got Patriots. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus your Tennessee Titans. I'll let you go first on this one. I got the Chiefs. Yeah, I do too. But, I mean, if Derrick Henry can run down their throat, it'll definitely make it a very competitive game. Uh, Detroit Lions versus the Los Angeles Rams. So, before we make a pick, which quarterback is this game more important to, Matthew Stafford or Jared Goff, in your opinion? I think Matthew Stafford because he had a almost 10-year career in Detroit. I'm going to say golf because I think that while, like, we talked about it all the time with Tom Brady and the Patriots, but with regards to the Lions and Matthew Stafford, I don't think it's – I think it'll be, like, an important game. I think he'll care. But I just think that he has less of a chip on his shoulder with regards to the Lions because it was his choice to leave. Whereas Jared Goff, he kind of got pushed out. And was like, hey, you're not good enough to help lead us to a Super Bowl. So I think that Jared Goff is probably going to take this game a bit more personally, especially because it is in L.A. But either way, I got Rams winning. Yeah, me too. Las Vegas Raiders versus the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a toss-up, but I think I'm going to go Raiders. I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm going to say Uh, Yeah, it's weird saying Las Vegas. I get it. Houston Texans versus the Arizona Cardinals. This would be a lot more fun if Houston had a different quarterback, but I'm going Cardinals. I'm going Cards. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Chicago Bears. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. All right, Sunday Night Football, the Indianapolis Colts versus the San Francisco 49ers. I'm actually going to say Colts. I'm going to say 49ers. All right, Monday Night Football, the New Orleans Saints versus the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to go Saints in a close one. I got Saints as well. All right, so what players are you most looking forward to watching offensively, defensively, rookie of the week, and who are you calling out? Um, my offensive player that I'm looking forward to watching is, you said his name already, Derrick Henry. I think the only way the Titans can beat the Chiefs this week is if Derrick Henry has another monster performance. And we I, we both know that the Chiefs' defense isn't one of the better run-stopping defenses in the league, so I, it can very well happen. Um, defensively, I am going to say um, – I'm going to say Aaron. I know that, you know – this is a revenge game for Jared Goff, and I think that Aaron Donald is going to be the guy that spoils his party. I'm speaking with Jamar Chase, and the team that I'm calling out, I'm calling out the uh, Miami Dolphins. They need something. I mean, if Tua really wants to stake his claim as to why he should still be their quarterback, he has to have a hell of a game or he's going to be gone. Um, So offensively, like I mentioned a second ago, I'm watching Jared Goff goes back to L.A., can really show them that maybe they did make the wrong choice. It's not looking like they did right now, but who's to say that won't change? Defensively, J.J. Watt, this is another return game. He gets to return against the Houston Texans, who he already said looks like a completely different organization. But like 
uh, Matthew Jefferson so many years in Detroit. He spent so many years in Houston, means so much to that community. So I'm interested to see how he plays against them. Um, the rookie I'm watching is cornerback Paulson Adebo. While Geno Smith is not a quarterback that inspires a whole bunch of fear, I mean, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are two of the best receivers in the league, and Paulson Adebo is going to have a responsibility of being lined up against at least one of those cats for most of the game. I'm interested to see how he handles that. And I'm going to call out the Saints. Reason being, I think that this is a game that they should win, and with the opportunity for them to really bounce I guess not necessarily bounce back, but keep their name within the wild card conversation. I think that they can do that, and I'm expecting a big game from Jameis. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Opening night was this past Tuesday. So, Ethan, I know it's only been a few days into the season, but what are your top three takeaways of action? Um, top three takeaways are Stephen Curry is still one of the greatest shooters in the history of the NBA. I watched their performance against the Clippers in the second, in the first half where he scored 25 and didn't miss a shot. And it was like, it was, it was like somebody playing 2K. Like, the way that he was just pulling and just getting whatever shot that he wanted and making everything, it was unbelievable. Um, number two, I think the Miami Heat are going to be a top, I'll say top four seed in the East, just given the fact that they are, they always had a really um, formidable team, but I think with the addition of Kyle Lowry, it's going to take, and P.J. Tucker, there's going to be something that takes them to another step. I don't necessarily see them making the finals, but I can see them being a really high seed in the East. And number one, what is going on with your Los Angeles Lakers? Because they have been looking bad. We can, we'll definitely talk about that later because I, I have some thoughts. Uh, but, all right, so let's talk Mamba players of the week. Coming out of the Eastern Conference, I'm going to go Kevin Durant. I mean, KD is just going to be KD. So far in the first couple of games of the season, averaging 30 and a half points, 13 boards, 8 assists. I mean, KD is doing KD-like things. Say what you will about him personally, but that man is a baller. Yeah, for me, it's KD as well because he he had a triple-double, I think, last night, and they won the game, and he's just been doing normal his normal things as the best scorer in the NBA. And then out of the West, I'm 99.9% sure we have the same person, but my Mamba player's got to be Steph Curry. Like you mentioned, had the perfect quarter, dropped 45-10 and 10 against the Clippers. I mean, for just putting on the show, and the season just started. So I was going to go Steph, but since you went Steph, I have to go John Morant. And the reason I'm going Ja is because it was a stretch in that game against Cleveland where the game got close. And Ja single-handedly scored like three straight buckets to go to um, spread the gap. And that's something that you, that's, in my opinion, it's not a mumble what he is. You got a great point there. All right, in our Rookie of the Week, this one was a bit challenging, but not that hard. Uh, I'm going Davion Mitchell, guard for the Sacramento, Sacramento Kings. I mean, while he might not have the explosiveness offensively like a Jalen Green or a Kay Cunningham or other counterparts, even Scotty Barnes, who had a great game last night, I believe, he has been locking – people down defensively so far this season he's held Damian Lillard uh CJ McCollum Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson to a combined 25.9 field goal percentage just through the first couple of games of his career Davion Mitchell is looking like a defensive standout oh for me I am going to go with Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers like I stated I was in I was the game I saw him up close and personal and if he's going to remain healthy, I think that he might be the best rookie out of this class. I can definitely see it. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some league news, starting with some contracts, because quite a few people got paid, starting with Memphis forward Jaron Jackson, who signed a four-year, $105 million contract extension, keeping him in the Bluff City. Phoenix spent some money after not uh, extending 
DeAndre Ayton, gave Michael Bridges a four-year $90 million deal, signed a guard Landry Shamet to a four-year $43 million deal. Um, the Indiana, I mean, Indiana Pacers extended guard Malcolm Brogdon to a two-year $45 million deal, oh, with um, the Atlanta Hawks signing uh, guard Kevin Hooter to a four-year $65 million deal. How do you like the, these contracts? Do you feel like anybody got overpaid, or how are things going? I don't really think any deal was too bad. I think probably the Bridges signing, well, re-signing probably got more eyes on it just because it's the question of, well, you signed Michael Bridges but not DeAndre Ayton. Why is that? But, I mean, I think that in terms of long-term investment, I don't think that Michael, I mean, not Michael, uh, DeAndre Ayton is going to magically become their best player, hence why they didn't give him that super max deal, as opposed to Michael Bridges who can continue to be a solid contributing piece and still work on a deal that isn't too painful for their pocket. So I agree with you. I think that all the deals are good. I think that keeping Jaron there in Memphis is a great move, especially because he's really kind of coming to his own, especially as he's gotten healthier. And I'm excited to see what the future holds with him and John Morant. Uh, but let's talk about somebody who is not getting extended and not happy about it. Uh, Marvin Badgley II has had a bit of a rough go of his time with the Sacramento Kings since being drafted a couple years ago. Uh, so rocky, in fact, that the Kings even informed him that he was not even going to be in the rotation for their season opener, to which uh, Badgley's agent ripped the Kings and said, Sacramento has informed uh, Badgley that he is not in the opening night rotation, which is completely baffling. It's clear they have no plans for him in the future and yet pass on the potential deals at last year's deadline and this summer based on value. Instead, they chose to bring him back but not play him, a move completely contradictory to their value argument. This is a case study in mismanagement by the Kings organization. So this question is kind of a two-parter. One, do you feel like Marvin Badgley will be utilized by the Kings this season? And if not, where should they trade him to? Um, okay, to answer the first half of that question, I don't think he's going to get utilized by the Sacramento Kings simply because I think this has been a very fractured relationship, kind of from the start, because he got, then he got hurt, and he continued to get hurt. And we both know that um, Bill, Luke, not Bill Walton, Luke Walton, he's very stubborn in the way that he um, manages his players, i.e. Buddy Hill. And so I think that he won't be utilized. And where I think he should get traded, uh, he has a really skillful skill set. I can see him, you know, a team like the Wizards, maybe, if they want to pull a, pull a fast one, simply because he's a big, they can do all facets of a game. I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be surprised if the Spurs pulled a move because we both know that how Pops loves skill bigs. So I can see one of those two. I'm actually happy you said the Spurs. I think that the Spurs would actually make a lot of sense in that regard just because, like you mentioned, they're. They are looking for a big with some skills and not also they're pretty talent hungry. I mean, their team right now is probably the they have probably the thinnest roster that they have had since Pop has been there. It has been a bit of a rough go of things. So many players leaving and not really returning anybody. So I agree with you. I think that he would actually be a really nice fit with the Kings because I don't I mean, not the Kings, sorry, the Spurs, because I don't think the Kings really are going to use him. I mean, since his time, there has not been 
that cohesive of a union. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before they pull the trigger and trade him, which I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do this summer. But, all right, I mentioned it earlier, but the NBA 75 team was released. Of course, I'm not going to list every player who made it, but there are quite a few talented players who ended up not making it. Um, here are a few that at least uh, ESPN, or at least in a post, mentioned did not make it. Uh, Kyrie Irvin, Dwight Howard, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Manu Ginobili, Ben Wallace, Nikola Jokic, uh, Derek Rose, just to name several, just to name a few of other players who were likely candidates. So, Ethan, in your opinion, who are some of the top five biggest snubs for the NBA 75? Oh, the top five biggest snubs. Obviously, Dwight Howard. I would say Clay Thompson. Um, who else would I say? Vince Carter, um, Ben Wallace, I can say, and um, I'm trying to think of a because everyone else that you listed, I kind of agree with. So I would probably say those players. Uh, I, for me, I agree with you on Dwight Howard despite my personal feelings of him, or at least his second stint with the Lakers. Uh, his first stint with the Lakers, I was not feeling that man. But, I mean, when he was on, his days in Orlando were some of the best in recent NBA history. So, yeah, Dwight, Ben Wallace, I said Tracy, Vince, and Kyrie is Kyrie's kind of borderline. It's The talent is there, but it's just like, if you put Kyrie on, who would you take off? That would be like that would be the biggest question for me. So I have a question. Yeah. Why do you say Tracy? I say Tracy because I think that despite when he was healthy, he was easily one of the best players in the league. And unfortunately, health really tr hurt him a lot. But in his times, whether you look at with the Rockets, when he really helped make them a contending force, or with Orlando, just throughout his career. He was a very impactful player. He was one of those bigger guys, those 6'8 cats who moved like a point guard and still had that kind of ability that made him into such a force. Unfortunately, injuries kind of hurt that. But I think that in terms of talent, he deserves to be on that list. But, I mean, then again, it's hard to really narrow down 75 players to make a list. But, yeah, I think that at the very least, Dwight, Ben, and Vince are definitely ones who – who should be on there. But all right, let's talk a game of believable or buffoonery. And we got to talk the Ben Simmons saga because quite a bit has happened over the past few days from him getting kicked out of practice and suspended for not participating in a defensive drill and essentially pissing off Doc Rivers to the team, um, Tim telling the team that he wants a fresh start. He wants to go somewhere else. Team's still not listening. Um, Joel Embiid personally saying that it's not his team's job to babysit this man. To Daryl Morley, the Sixers president, even saying on 97.5, uh, the fanatic, you're going to think I'm kidding. I'm not. This could be four years. Every day we are going to expect Ben Simmons to be back here or we trade him for a difference maker. Needless to say, it's a lot going on, and it's no telling when Ben Simmons is actually going to suit up again for the Philadelphia 76ers. But believable or buffoonery, somehow, some kind of way, the 76ers and Ben Simmons will find a way to repair their relationship. I'm calling buffoonery. I'm calling buffoonery. Awesome. Yeah, I just think that too much has happened. Like, you can only tell me you don't want me in so many different ways, and then when I come back, like, you can tell. I, don't, I know you said you're on a social media fast, but, like, you can literally see him at practice just not engaged. He's not with the team. Like, just move on. I don't understand why the 76ers are trying to drag this out. Just trade him and move on. Close this Ben Simmons chapter because clearly it was not working. All right, speaking of – I'm sorry to interrupt. But, yeah, speaking of things that's not working, the Los Angeles Lakers, who I know it's only a couple games into the season, but 0-2, the team overall isn't looking too great. Dwight Howard and AD got into it on the bench – 
I would love to under know what they were beefing about. Even it got so bad that Magic Johnson even tweeted out Dwight Howard and AD got into a physical altercation on the bench in my 42 years of being associated with the Lakers organization. I've never seen something like that shaking my head. And mind you, he was there for the Kobe and Shaq day. So believable or buffoonery, is it time to start worrying about the Lakers? pretty in la la land this is um it's not a good look to put it simply it's it's rough to watch and while we you and i talked about it like neither of us really felt that russ was a good fit for what the lakers needed i think we're really starting to see some of the holes and the things that they were missing out on with regards to this offseason whether it be getting those kind of knockdown shooters or getting more youth on the bench there, we're seeing that going up against these younger and faster teams, it's affecting them. And it's not because they don't have talent, because clearly AD, LeBron, Russ, Melo is there. Very talented people on the roster, but like you said, it's going to take time to gel. So right now, I'm not too worried. It's an 82-game season. It's plenty of time to get things fixed. But I think that it may be a little bit time to kind of slow the roll on, like, they're guaranteed to go to the finals because it's – it's looking ugly right now. Talking about teams going to the finals, I mean, by seeing the New York Knicks fans' reactions after beating the uh, Celtics in overtime, you would think that they just won the championship. And it's also led some people to get really excited about the Knicks, including Stephen A. Smith, who said, the only teams in the East that are safe from the Knicks are the Bucks and the Nets. Believable or buffoonery, the Knicks are the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Y'all call them buffoonery as well. I think that while the Knicks definitely had a great showing um, in their first couple of games, I just think that in terms of talent, I'm, I will take my chances with Miami. I think that they have more of a cohesion. Even though they are still kind of getting gelled together, It's they still have enough players of the last few years that have been together to kind of steer the ship in Bam and Jimmy uh, Butler. Hell, even Tyler Harrow who balled out in the season opener. So, no, I, I would disagree with the Knicks being the third best team. Honestly, I would still take the 76ers over the Knicks right now, but I do think that the Knicks are doing some nice things. But, all right, last piece before we close out this show, we got to talk Shaq, who was very complimentary of LeBron James, on um, talking about if LeBron is almost the GOAT and said he's got four rings and he becomes the highest scorer in NBA history. He's the best ever. Ain't nothing you can say. So, believable or buffoonery, LeBron James, the undisputed GOAT if he breaks Kareem's all-time scoring record. I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, uh, I love LeBron, but nah. I think that while it would be a great accomplishment and a big thing, I just think that there's more that goes into it. Because, I mean, hell, Mag- I mean, not Magic, Kareem won, what, five rings? five or six rings and had the scoring record. But when terms of the greatest of all time conversation, he's not really brought up. And so I think that if it was that easy, 
it would be a much different conversation. If all-time scoring points would really play that big of a role in it, then, I mean, Carl Malone would be considered one of the greatest players of all time. It wouldn't be Michael Jordan. It wouldn't be Kobe. It wouldn't be Magic. So I'm calling buffoonery. While LeBron James is easily one of the most impactful players of all time, I don't think that breaking the scoring record makes him the GOAT. All right, let's, all right, make, let's make game picks for tonight, starting off with the Atlanta Hawks. Versus the Cleveland Cavaliers, I got Hawks. I got Hawks. Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers, I got Heat. I got Heat. Dallas Mavericks versus the Toronto Raptors, I'm going to go Mavs. Mm-hmm. I got Mavs. New Orleans Pelicans versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is kind of a toss-up, but I, I guess I'll go Timberwolves. I got Timberwolves. Detroit Pistons versus the Chicago Bulls, I'm saying Bulls. Milwaukee Bucks versus the San Antonio Spurs. I got Bucks. Bucks. Phoenix Suns versus the Portland Trail Blazers. As much as I like Dame and I want him to pull this out, I got Suns. Yeah, I got Suns. All right, last but not least, your Memphis Grizzlies versus the Los Angeles Clippers. I got Grizzlies. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this out? Um, go Grease, and I am watching this um, Penn State, um, oh. Illinois, Chicago, Illinois game. These folks are in like the eighth overtime. I know. Man, it's wild. I know. My my Tigers are playing um, Ole Miss right now. And, I mean, we beat Florida last week, so I'm happy. Like, just because, oh, Lord knows, I hate Florida. But, I mean, if we just want to beat two ranked opponents in back-to-back weeks, I'll take whatever I can get. I mean, Memphis lost uh, on Friday, so my other Tigers got to do my do the job for me. So, yeah, um, go Lake Show. We'll we'll get it together at some point. Honestly, it's too early in the season for me to be stressing about it. Go Tigers. And um Baltimore. Y'all know I love Joe Burrow. He's my guy. Really close to being my favorite player in the league, but you're my favorite team, so I care about you more. I want you to win. So win the game, keep leading the AFC North, and I'm happy. But thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time.